Hello and welcome to It's a Gundam, the internet's best episode-by-episode Gundam Seed podcast that finished watching Gundam Build Fighters and decided to reconquer the next real Gundam series. My name is Jeremy. Oh no, like a Mac knife through butter, I'm Tyler. I mean, they should have really called this episode Attempting War Crimes and been done with it. My name is Zach. Emphasis on attempting. Uh, They're both bad at it. I mean, if the war laws change, are they still war crimes? I think it only matters who wins and loses. Yeah, that's why Clem Nick thinks it's such a great idea to uh, constantly betray people. He, he's This is not the first time he's done this, where someone's like, I surrender, and he's like, aha, that fool, they fell for a surrender. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time he did that? Um, It's one of the early fights, and Bellry's trying to talk, I think, to maybe Delinson or something, and Clem Nick takes advantage of the... Uh, G-Self T-posing at <laughs> oh, Delinson. But the thing is, like, there's no flag there or surrender, actually, in that one. Like, there's no deception. It's just on the battlefield, somebody doing something stupid. Well, that's fair. That's more of a war traffic violation. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a war parking ticket. War, war misdemeanor. Yeah. Um, all I'm saying is that Klimnik is maybe not the most honorable person. That's what makes him a genius. <laughs> that's why Ida is like, we can't let him be in charge of the space army. No, you're, he's one of the most honorable people in the world. Have you talked to everybody else who's he's gone up against so far? <laughs> well, Tyler, he did just start with a small loan of $1 million from his president father, Zucchini. <laughs> and, a, and a warship. I mean, you ought to give that to Clem Nick, right? At least he would be honest about all the privilege he came from, right? Yeah. No, I think he would own it. <laughs> I mean, he's never trying to hide it. I feel like the only thing he wants to hide is that his father's name is Zucchini. Maybe they don't have Zucchini anymore. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> it's it's actually like this mythological vegetable now. <laughs> yeah. Everyone that represents th- strength or something. <laughs> or something. <laughs> they don't have eggplant emojis in the future. That's all I'm saying. So we are watching episode 13 of Reikungista in G this week. Those who came from the moon. They They're- sure did come from the moon this episode. Are you excited by moon people, Tyler? Not particularly. They well, seem just like the the Earth people, but like yeah. Lame. That's why when you asked if there was aliens, I was like, and eh, not kind really. Of. Yeah, because like these are not aliens, right? No, but they kind of are. And I kind of back to the war crimes joke. Like how Clem Nick treats them like they are the Zerg or whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we can do whatever to them. The main question is, where's Lauren? In the past or the future depends on what day it is and what Tomino's had to drink this morning. So yeah, if you're just joining us, oh boy. Uh, Rekungista NG isn't that confusing, but you do have to pay attention to it because it's a lot. While also not being much, it's so weird. That, that's a good question. Tyler, do you think Rekungista NG is a lot or not much? If you have to check one of those boxes, which I understand are not fair boxes. Yeah, no, if I had to choose one, I think I choose not much. It is mostly a vibes-based show, and while there is a lot of plot, none of it does anything. There's not a lot of character development, I think, is the big problem. It feels like, at least right now, the plot seems to just be a way to shuffle characters around and not actually explore those character motivations or anything like that. So it's like, they're going to space. Why are they going to space? Because we said so. What does this mean for the characters? I don't know. Yeah, Like we've talked about before, Rico and Gisa and G in a lot of ways is a weird window into this other world more than it is a story. And I think very much the point that Tomino is trying to make is that organizations are complex and you can't boil them down to s- small things. But the whole trick of stories is boiling down giant organizations into one representative member, right? And that's why it's so hard to do our usual recap of who everyone is at the start of an episode 
and who all the factions are, because it's really, really interested in interfaction politics and how those don't stop just because you meet another faction. Because the main characters are on the megafauna. That's the main ship. That's where Belry Zenum, our main good boy, is, along with his crush, Ida, who's from Ameria. He's from Capital Territory. It's a whole thing. And the megafauna is sort of a melting pot, right? Because you also have curbs from the Capital Guard on there who has his own thing. But that's all technically part of the Amerian army, which also has Klim Nick and his ship, the Salamander, leading it, but also has Ida's dad, General Suragon, trying to control and moderate him. Like, that's just one faction in this story. <laughs> and then just kind of floating around also on the megafauna is uh, Noredo Nug and Raria, who is a big question mark. Raria's from space. That's all we know. Yeah, like, we don't know her full deal. We're... I think I have a handle on what Naredo's deal is, but I'm not entirely sure. This episode implies that Raya is from the moon, which tracks, but we don't actually know that for sure. I wonder if Gondwin ever becomes a player in this. We have seen most of what we will from Gondwin. Okay. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll spoil that. But even they're in the background and like, they're a super minor faction, right? But we can't ignore them and still have to bring them up. Also comes into this, right? Because yep. Ameria's been at war for, with them for 10 years, and they're also where the capital armies spaceship came from the space garandan yeah there's also the space garandan from that the capital army uh a military faction from the capital distinct from the capital guard which is their defense force and the two do not get along which is why curbs is on the megafauna and not with the space garandan yes i was to say and also why delinson is dead yes arguably <laughs> uh, also there's barara in mask they're on the space garandan mask is a is a shark he wants to be shark so bad but he's so not shark he doesn't even have a sister to be sad about. <laughs> and Barara is there. there. Also Manny. Manny is also there. Manny is also there, yes. She knew Bellary and Naredo and was Mask's girlfriend before he put on a mask and legally changed his name to Mask. <laughs> they are under the control of Colonel Compaq. Who, who is a Final Fantasy villain. Yeah, who <laughs> may also be from space because he thinks Earthnoids should die, but may not. He may just be a grumpy old man. He's exceptionally crafty this episode, but it doesn't do anything. I would say he's exceptionally crafty in general, right? That's fair. But also, he has not accomplished much. <laughs> he is a very shifty guy. He specifically has a shifty glance in this episode, and then he runs away right before General what uh, Donut shows up. <laughs> yep. Also, there are the SU Cordists, who is the SU Cordism is the main pseudo religion in this world, in a sort of sci-fi sense. It's Part philosophy, part religion, right? It's more a philosophy, but it has a lot of religious trappings, including a pope and a director of shipping, who is Belry's mom. <laughs> they are at their holy land, St. Porto, which is at the top of the space elevator that connects to the world. It's also where people from the moon bring them batteries, which is the only power source on the Earth. But those moon people have just threatened them by destroying one of the battleships near them. The battleships the Amerian army made to counter the battleships that were around the moon. See, is, and, and that's a lot. And that's a lot. It is very um, much a lot. And we, and we didn't cover a lot of the, like, nuanced details, but also, none of it seems to matter a whole lot, which is... It's so weird, right? And I think that's the reason people slide off G-Reco. It's not because it's too confusing, because while that's a lot, we are 13 episodes in, it's not because it's, like, opaque or anything. It's just that it's, like, what do you latch on to? Because the answer feels like it should be Bellary. But, like, he's had some development, but that's not what the show's interested in, really. 
Well, it also feels like every time it feels like Bellary's going to have some kind of development, the show decides to kick that in the head and tell you nothing about it. Or, like, any time, like, actual important plot or, like, exposition is going to happen. Like, I would Something kill, blows up. <laughs> I would kill for some exposition in this show, and that is such a weird thing to want. Yeah, I know. And, like, we get it sometimes, and it's so weird, right? Like, how Bellary is actually adopted. Yeah, that can't, that, that was a very clunky bit of exposition. It was it, way better in the movie version. And by way better, I mean, like... 50% better, but that's a huge improvement over basically nothing. Uh, so we're going to go watch the midpoint of Reconquista in G, Those Who Come from the Moon. You can watch along if you have the arcane rituals of Doctor Strange and can just do whatever <laughs> you want. Uh, we start with a shot of the moon and some mobile suits coming from it. It's actually a pretty cool, very Gundam shot. Especially <laughs> these ships just like panning behind, looking like they're on strings. That ship was listing lazily to the left. Uh, it was listening lazily to the right, Zach. It's just from our camera angle. It was going to the left. <laughs> so we, we do have someone call, uh, yelling about causing explosions right next to St. Porto. And now they were only supposed to intimidate them. And we see who is going to be General Durrett. We do not know his name. But General Dorito being like, we're supposed to bring the Kashiba Mikoshi here in the near future. A proper noun Belry's mom talked about once. But they're acting like this with spaceships. It will take us another hundred years to train true soldiers, I suppose. I feel like he's talking about his own guys there, because yes. right before that, you know, the captain's like, I only ordered you to intimidate them, and that's one hell of a warning shot, punching around right yep. through a ship. And that is one of the recurring themes in this show, right? About how you can't just magic an army out of nowhere and expect it to do well. That's why Clem Nick's always like, we've had ten years' ex experience. We will trounce these fools. I do also want to point out General Dorito's awesome glasses. I feel like it's a thing that Gundam likes to do to give, like, space glasses to people for some reason. Yeah, he's Harry Ord's great-great-great-grandfather <laughs> slash grandson, depending on how Tomino feels today. But after that, it zooms into the space elevator. Yeah, we cut back to Sanct Porto, where Clem Nick and Mick Jack are talking about moving the Salamandra, and Clem Nick wanting to be on full alert. And Roraya is freaking out, but being very active about it, instead of just running around. She goes to the locker room and is like, hey, spacesuits for everyone. I mean, she did just watch a ship get exploded. Yeah, but she's acting very cognizant here, right? Yeah. Despite not being able to explain her logic. Yeah, she's she's clearly thinking ahead because she grabs a uh, spacesuit and shoves it into Naredo's arms. Yeah, before starting to get, put her own on. And Ida tries to act skip. She knows what's going on, but Naredo chides her for it. And Belry is like, oh man, I'm the only guy here. This is a little awkward. I guess I'll run to this line of lockers. <laughs> As we get some exposition about where everybody went. Ida's dad went back to the Rattle Python. Raraya, despite her urgency, doesn't want to put on a helmet. So Naredo has to chase her around. And Curb shows up and is like, hey, it's like a party here for, you know, a giant spaceship getting blown up. And everyone just is kind of okay with that. I don't know that they're okay with that. I feel like Curbs is okay with that. Well, Curbs is like, hey, Luan brought you a G-Self backpack. He's outside. Go out and grab it. I don't know. Both Ida and Belry are, like, surprisingly happy the entire rest of this scene, even though they just saw a ship get blown up. Apparently, Belry's mom and Ida's dad also followed him very closely out of that meeting that they were in at the last episode. Belry's mom is like, hey, you shouldn't fight a battle here. And Gushan's like, hey, what what do you think will happen if we don't? But everyone ignores her to be like, all right, we all ready to fight yet? And as uh, Bellary's mom is yelling at him, mm -hmm. he's like, uh, Bellary's like, hey, wait, isn't that the space pope? 
and Ida's dad is like, please get on the, our boat so we can protect you. And Colonel Compact is like, I will protect him with my Final Fantasy bullshit. Plus, <laughs> the moon would never bomb us. And even Belry's mom is like, yeah, no, they did just blow up a ship right next to us, though. What if they had missed? And Ida and Belry decide to take the adults being distracted as an excuse to sneak out with their mobile suits. And Curb's uh, like, wow, bigwigs are talking over there. This is I don't know what's going on. And then he sees Belry like gesture to him. And he's like, all right, guess we're going. I, uh, Raraiah has taken it upon herself to untie the G-self as everyone is like, why is it tied up? Why did we do this? Well, and as we'll see in a couple minutes, it did not matter in the slightest. <laughs> Ida reveals Klim's plan is to cut off the he- snake of the head, cut the head off the snake and hope that they all run away because they're disorganized new army, which has, I feel like the potential of backfiring really bad if they all panic. But I mean, I, yes, a- that's the problem is you don't know what it's going to do if you cause a panic. And we've learned that the Garandin was in nut 143, two nuts below. How, what is the actual distance between the nuts? I know they actually tell us at one point. I couldn't tell you. Um, I'm just wondering how long it takes them to, to like travel between them. I mean, it's what, it's short enough between them that a mobile suit can do it, right? That's a fair point. On whatever its fuel is. Yeah. Gas balls. I think, uh, so Compact says something along the lines of, uh, don't start a fight in to Ida's dad. And Ida's dad's like, well, they started this, so I'm not just going to roll over and die. So the Garandin calls uh, Ida's dad and is like, hey, we should team up, bro. And Compact gives him the shiftiest <laughs> look imaginable. <laughs> I missed his shifty eyes before. Uh, That's it, hilarious. It's, it's gr- I'm not sure what we're supposed to take from that, but it's grade A. Like, I assume this is just playing into his plan somehow. I just have no idea what his plan is. Uh, anyway, the emergency broadcast system brings you a bunch of mobile suits. <laughs> which causes Bellary to go full rock in Fast and Furious 6 and flex out of the tape. Is it 6? Pretty sure. <laughs> I it don't might remember. Be seven. It might be 7. 6 or 7. You're talking about the one where he like, has an arm broken, so he just yeah. flexes out of the cast? Yeah, the one where the cold open is the rock getting, uh, and all the rock's guys getting killed and him getting hurt, so he's in the hospital. And then at the climax, he goes, Daddy's got to go to work when he sees them on the news, and he flexes out of his cast. <laughs> 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 that is what I am talking about, yes. Uh, so we see Rariah is freaking out about something na- something called Durette. Yeah, Rariah is freaking out and needs some Doritos. <laughs> she's having a really bad trip you know these bug ones here these bug mobile suits i get a somewhat of a uh aura battler dunbine feel from them which is another tomino series and i it, we there are probably too many mobile suits in this series but i do like how every faction has different ones and i really like how the moon ones feel so distinct well it's not just that they have different ones it's that they all have distinct ones it's not like Oh yeah, here's the Leo that we're using. Here's the Leo, but slightly different from the for the other guys. Yeah, the Amerian ones, besides their Gundams, are all very Zeon based, right? They're those sort of designs. The Capital Army has more traditional Federation style mobile suits. The Kaith Siths could be GMs if you looked at them wrong. So I really like that they go almost Dunbine, like you said, with these. They ha- still have that samurai look with the way their swords are and the helmets, but they are way more insectoid, like you're saying. It makes them feel sort of alien, which is nice too. I was going to ask if we thought that sword was a beam saber or not. I We will know, but I don't remember. Okay. I don't think they are, but I could be wrong. Then we see the other side's main character for just a second. Ah, uh, he has the dumbest name. <laughs> we don't learn it this episode, we don't. I don't think. So Bellary and uh, Ida both launch and they're like, hey, look, there's the salamandra and there's my backpack. Luan deploys the backpack directly to the back. 
I don't even know what this backpack does. It's a space backpack. I assume it's just for better maneuverability. Okay. Probably more fuel as well. And then Curbs has a really weird thing that is like, hey, you know, I just told you to load up Raya and Naredo, um, and now I'm telling you you need to give them over to me because you're going to be going and doing a job. Which he proceeds to just not do. <laughs> Raya finally gets out a full sentence about Durette coming at and then just starts yelling his name. Well, it looks like Naredo and Raya are making out behind him. Absolutely not what's going on, but it does look like it for a second. So apparently, this joint front is uh, both sides of the Capital Army, which has been trying to kill slash capture our heroes, is going to be working alongside our heroes to deal with the threat from the moon. Along with Klimnik, our favorite... Can we just declare Klimnik the favorite character of the podcast? Is that fair? <laughs> Um, he's my favorite character, for sure. <laughs> I think he might be mine. <laughs> yeah, that seems fair, then. So, Curbs goes, like, go talk to the Garandin, and he's like, this is a Capital Guard Rex snow. There's no way they would shoot at it. And I'm like, dude, the last time you did this, they literally took you hostage. <laughs> that was two episodes ago. They couldn't possibly do it again. They like, also, to be fair, did not shoot at him. They just took him hostage. Th this okay. is a game where you start with a war crimes hand, Zach, and you can only play wa every war crime once. So, <laughs> <laughs> the captain of the space Grotadon is not excited to bring about uh, uh, aboard. Is not excited to bring aboard former enemies. But masks like, yeah, but now there are meat shields. <laughs> I mean, he's not inherently wrong. You want your opponents to take the hits for you if you can arrange it. Well, that's basically the philosophy that he espouses to Barara in a second is like, let them go out and get exhausted and they will just mop up after them. It'll be great. We do get some interesting implications here where the guy from Garandin does not believe in a colony from beyond the moon. When Mask is like, yeah, they're from Toasanga, that moon colony. And he's like, yeah, where's Santa? Just the elf's going to show up? Just remember, Tyler. The enemy of my enemy is a problem for later. But for now, they might be useful. Barara welcomes them by pointing a gun right at them, because that is Barara's energy. And declaring herself friendly. I guess she does point an anti-personnel gun at their mobile suits, so. And she's like, hey, the, the two of you that are there, uh, show me your faces, and it's like, the G-Self and the G-Arcane, hi. <laughs> so Mask tells Barara to guard the rear, and like we said earlier, she complains, but Mask is like, hey, let them tank all the damage. We should test our luck only when we have to. And Barara's like, yeah, that's hot. <laughs> <laughs> You're a heartless asshole. <laughs> Into that. So Nareda and Varaya get thrown out of the G-Self and Manny Ambassador is here. And she's like, hey, Nareda, I've been wanting to meet you. I got and a haircut. Uh, Nareda doesn't recognize her initially. And then uh, Bellary comes out and immediately recognizes her, which I find hilarious. <laughs> well, I mean, she did like yell. Is that you, Manny? So it might make a little bit of sense. Although it is interesting that in a little bit, Manny will say that she, like she said, she came looking for Lewin. And then later on, we'll say, I couldn't find him. Oh, anyway, there's Mask. <laughs> Which she knows is Lewin. So I assume at this point, she's just playing along with him or doesn't want to give that away. So Manny's like, good job not getting killed by pirates, I guess. Or us. And Mask's like, hey, I know who you are. You're the woman who got attacked on the crown. And Ida's like, hey, aren't you Lewin Lee? And he's like, nobody knows that. <laughs> Except for, you know, all the people who know that. But, and I was like, fine. Let's not fight before we go team up. I, I do like how Ida is like, you must have let our uh, resident genius cajole, your, cajole you into doing this. 
I do kind of love the dick measuring that goes on between Mask and yep. Clem this episode, where they're both 100% I am just using you and you are an idiot at each other. I also love this scene where Bellary tries to get in on this conversation and Barara just chip checks him out of it from off screen. <laughs> so good. It is hilarious. And she's like, oh, by the way, I'm Barara. It's such a pleasure to meet you. You look like a good guy. Not into it. <laughs> Bellary is just like, do you think they're actually going to put up a combined front? And Luan is like, hey, no, they're serious. They're even looking after our mobile suits for us. And I'm like, you realize that's basically, I'm just letting you steal state secrets, right? Yep. <laughs> Which they surprisingly don't do this episode, but. So Manny's like, hey, I've got to go watch the wo- mobile suits. That's a woman's job in a Gundam series. See you later. Take care, guys. It was nice to see you. Oriah has kidnapped Nobel and Chichimi to stare at the sun. And Bellary's like, Ida, you're on babysitting duty. Because you're useless. Luan with me. Luan's like, oh man, am I going to get to be a main character? <laughs> and uh, then Curb's like, hey, what's going on? Bellary's like, protect Ida and the others. What do you guys think of Luan suddenly being more important? Do you think like it's a good like increase of his screen time slowly but surely from guy who's mentioned to guy who's allegedly in that mobile suit to guy with a face? I think it's worked pretty well because it does kind of raise, you know, a grunt. That is the face, kind of the face of the grunts, because we know that they're aboard the megafauna. We know it's not just the two, mo- the I guess three with curbs. We know they have a contingent of these grimoires on board. So giving one of them a face, it kind of does bring home that, hey, here they all are. And it's not just like the Astray team, or not the Astray team, the Murasame team from Destiny, where it's just like, allegedly there's more than this than these like five guys, but we can't tell because none of them ever have screen time. I'm a lot more apathetic about it, I think, generally. Like, Lewin has done nothing to endear himself to me. He is just there. Yeah, Maybe it's because so. I kind of like Lewin. I agree with you there. I wish Barara got more of this treatment, though, whereas I feel like Barara springs fully formed from the earth. <laughs> <laughs> just straight out of Mask's head. And, and uh, like we've said, there are a ton of characters, so it's interesting that they introduce another one like this, right? Especially so late into the series. I mean, it's only halfway. That's fair. There were no druggies at this point in... Gundam Seed. So, so late into the series, and he's still such a minor character. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine Lewin is going to, like, be a major player at any point. I expect they're only characterizing him now so he can die later. <laughs> I mean, you probably aren't inherently wrong, but at the same time, like, I don't think it's a problem to bring in a relatively minor character, because it's not like it's going to revolve the story around him all of a sudden, right? It's just... He's a member of the mobile suit team, so it does make sense that he would have some kind of rapport with these other people. No, and that's what I was saying, is, like, I'm largely apathetic about it. Like, I, I have no strong feelings about Lewin. He sure is there. Then we don't get an eye catch. It's sad. You roll the one on your 1D1 random Tylers. Hello, and welcome to episode 13, kind of. Of our recap of Raikum Gisun G. I say kind of because if you've been following along, you know there are two movies in there also. Back in the future, we're just about to record on movie three. So that's coming out soonish. It's fall and particularly spooky season. Um, I would like to know what your favorite thing in autumn is. Is it the fact that it's spooky season? Are you a big pumpkin spice head? Um, I am in particular a fan of pumpkin beers because I love the flavor of squash. Squash season, all season. That's my jam. This is also the time where I plug our Patreon.com slash LastPodcast, where you can get all of our episodes as soon as they're edited. Also, a bunch of fun bonus content. 
we're recording some stuff that Jeremy's excited about, um, that I'm also excited about, but Jeremy's excited about it for different reasons, that we can finally start posting some stuff about soon. Uh, so if any of that sounds like your jam, uh, you can head over there for $5 a month. Uh, you can get access to all of that. We are super appreciative of that. We're finding that the mixer that we use to record at my place is dead. So it is new mixer time. Um, so that is what your Patreon dollars are going to. Um, otherwise, you can head over to our Discord. Links are on our website at www.lastpodcast.com under the Contact Us page. You can hang out with us and chat, mostly about Warhammer, but also a bunch of other stuff. Um, I just drop random nonsense in there occasionally so if you would like to hang out with us and chat that's free you can just do that we're just humans that you can talk to uh anyway let's go see some humans in giant human shaped robots attempt to do some war crimes we uh we rolled a one on the 1d4 minus one eye catches per episode i am happier with that joke every day like i i pulled it completely out of my ass and it's 100 percent true well uh after coming back from seeing Raya say Sanct Porto, um, everybody is launching. Yep. Including Ida, who is just going to go protect the megafauna. But she did at least delegate babysitting to Curbs. I do like her, like, petulantly twiddling her thumbs. <laughs> I do kind of love this ragtag team of, like, Lewin, some random Mac knife pilots, hip-checking Barara, Klimnik, and Mask, <laughs> like we said. Like, it, re- I think, really does highlight how many pretty good characters are on in this show right there just aren't any great characters which is too bad yeah i don't know i also i like seeing them fly in formation like this because it really drives home like what a mixed unit they have mm-hmm. yeah because they're just kind of all over the place yeah they don't look the same which like we talked about is cool they are different colors they get even more power rangers when they finally join up with Clem nick and mick jack yeah we go through some uh yeah captain mask and Clem nick like whip it out <laughs> but we the audience don't see it so we don't know yeah so uh Klimnik goes over his old plan and mask is like a genius no wonder they call you a genius and i genuinely don't know if he's excited by this plan or making fun of Klimnik. i think he's making fun of him based on the thing he thinks to himself at the end of this conversation i think you're right especially because like then he's like Hey, I I prepared this white flag that it is totally going to trick them. <laughs> I do love mask clapping, and then in the background we can see Barara's mobile, mobile suit clapping. <laughs> They're so good. You can hear it too. It goes clang clang. <laughs> uh, you know, I miss the Manny relationship. I wish there was more there, but I do love that both Klim, Nick and Mask have an asshole right next to them whenever they need them. It's <laughs> such a good dynamic. And they're like, hey, if we pretend to surrender, we'll be able to get a free shot at them. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's a war crime. <laughs> no, it's the Futures Act. There aren't armies anymore, so there aren't war crimes anymore. And then uh, Klimnik introduces Mick Jack and is like, hey, I have my uh, my enforcer with me. I do love how consistent Klimnik is here with praising them all about, oh, no, I'm not a genius. I need all of you, which is exactly what he did with all the nameless pilots before of yep. flattering them. Then Mask hands the conversation off to Barara so he can internally gloat about how he's smarter than Klimnik. Yeah, the president's idiot son. It, it is very funny. Klimton, more like Dickton. And we do know that these are, I, I presume these are Morins. Yes, the, mobile, the moon mobile suits are Morins. Because the Morin team has seen the mixed unit and is reporting their movement to their motherships. He's like, hey, they've got a white flag. That means surrender still, right? Colonel Turbo. <laughs> it's an envoy of surrender can should we call him back it's like yeah and the guy's like an envoy who comes without prior announcement is a fool 
murder them. I love how concerned this random deckhand is about that statement. He's like, isn't that a war cry? And then Dorito is like, shoot them down. No warning shot for him. And this woman is like, if Minowski particles aren't spread, we can just take them out with homing missiles. They are doomed. Yeah, did we ever explicitly say what Clem Nick's plan was on the mics? No, we did not. Uh, he's got a white flag. He's going to pretend to surrender to them and then shoot their leader and then hope that they all scatter in terror. He's going to try to force a battle shock test. <laughs> <laughs> and just like in 40K, it doesn't do anything here either. But uh, yeah, they don't fall for it. So they start, uh, all of them start shooting. Bellary notices it apparently before anybody else. So he summons Rainbow Road, that power that the G-Self <laughs> has, and using the power of level skip shortcuts, he protects them from all the missiles. And Clem Dick is as surprised by this bullshit as everyone else. Mick Jack and Barara protect their boys. Luan <laughs> is like, I'm here too, guys. I'm not going to die. Everything else is like super high tech, and he's just got the shield and machine gun. So, so Bellary is like, hey, Klimnik, go this way and retreat. They've seen through the plan. We all got to get out of here. The light flag has been torn up, so the plan will not work. Follow everyone back. I do love the retreating pose of the Mac Knives. <laughs> yep. The Mac Knives are some of the dumbest mobile suits I've ever seen, but boy, are they growing on me. <laughs> I, I like during the the like the retreat, you can see Luan is constantly moving in his grimoire <laughs> while everybody else is just like following, falling straight back. But they stop shooting because uh, Bellary managed to angle them so that they put Sanct Porto right behind them. And Klimnik is like, ah, what a genius move. I shall have to call you genius first, Lieutenant Bellary. <laughs> uh, so we cut over to the pretty blonde boy who is the protagonist of the Moon Boys, my favorite boy band. <laughs> and is like, our negotiators have entered Sanct Porto. Mission accomplished. We will have to protect them. So uh, everybody in. I can't decide if I love or hate the outfits. I kind of like the uniform, honestly. Their uniforms are very wing-esque without all the tassels. Yeah, it, it feels like Gundam wing-esque uniforms, but it doesn't feel like Napoleonic uniforms, right? They don't feel based on any real uniforms, the way that the Napoleon ones clearly inspired Gundam wing, or the Nazi ones clearly inspired Zeon. Yeah, but they feel like a step from that, and I kind of like that, especially for sci-fi moon people. So the Dorito arrives to negotiate with the Pope. Along with Turbo. And, and, and Colonel Compa is like, um, guys, I left a um, food in the <laughs> oven. I'll be right back. And he just like walks out of the scene. <laughs> I do love how shifty he is this episode. And Durrett's like, oh, I didn't expect you here. The Pope scored. <laughs> the Pope's like, I am grateful that you have come. And everybody is running to the meeting. And literally everybody is getting on the same elevator. Yeah, this is when Mask and Klimnik are overwhelmed by the sense of women? Question? That does not happen in the show. That just happens according to Bellry this episode. Does not actually happen. <laughs> they just get in. Which makes sense since they always have a woman right next to them. They just think they would be fine. And this is and a very are. crowded elevator. Yeah, I like how everyone's taking some time to catch up. Have some elevator chat. I like how Mask is like, please continue to refer to me as Captain Mask. Captain is my first name and Mask is my last name. I legally change it. I'm actually only a corporal. And uh, Barara is like, I'm going to introduce myself again. And Bellary's like, why did you come here, Klimnik? He's like, if I see my enemy's face, it will help me formulate my next plan. It's one of my class features. Right? <laughs> Mick Jack, and she's like, man, I, I like you, dude, but that sounds like some bullshit. <laughs> Barara notes she looks suspiciously like Naredo and it's like, there's only room for one pink-haired uh, bad girl in this show and then they get back to the uh <laughs> the, the shanks, shanks the shanks renter i like to think he's like man i'm this keeps happening i'm gonna retire early <laughs> i love 
Like everybody else is in like a uniform or something like that. And then you have Luan, who's in like swim trunks and in his uh, vacation outfit. I'm also uh, going to refer to that guy now as uh, Sean's Shanks Shack. <laughs> <laughs> Shanks Shack? Taken up from nut 135. <laughs> so Big Jack asks Klimnik like, hey, is that the place we're going? And he's like, it must be. Wasn't he there? Maybe he's just assuming that's where they're going to have negotiations. Anyway, Raya has plotitis, and so Naredo has to take her to the doctor, who luckily is right across the street from the Vatican. Well, Luan just says, ask at that mansion. But the mansion has a cross on it, a red cross, specifically. It can't be, it's not actually the red cross, because that's trademarked. Yeah, well, but it is a red cross. It also, it's cross. the future. It might have been generic. <laughs> yeah, I think the red cross got destroyed when Char failed to drop an asteroid on Earth. I think that's canon. And uh, so they all present themselves at the door and they're like, where are the bodyguards and damn is Barara short? They're like, yeah, we're, we're here to match your guys' numbers as bodyguards. That's why we're late. Anyway, Durette's dudes are blaming them or accusing the Earth people of using universal century technology like a toy. Why is this guy's eyes animated differently than everybody else's? Because he's gone turbo. <laughs> his pupils have dilated to take up his entire phase. And General Rokushin is like, yeah, but you guys built a fleet to attack Earth. But the woman's like, we had to do that because you're fighting intercontinental wars. And Durrett plays with his nose. <laughs> and we would need military forces of our own. And then Klimnik <laughs> is like, I figured everything out. You have been lured into attacking Ameria by Gondwan, who's going to let you immigrate to Earth and take over. And everybody in the room. A reconquista. That's a word room, that's real. Face palms at Klimnik at this one. Also, the Sneeple are inhabiting the core of the Earth. Except but for the blonde protagonist of the moon, who tries to fight Klimnik. Unfortunately, he's an anime brawler, and Klimnik is a rival who easily dance fights him back. I love these <laughs> rapid-fire chops Klimnik gets as soon as he's got him in the grapple. Well, so far, we know that Klimnik isn't the best hand-to-hand -hand fighter because Bellry beat him. But he's still pretty good. But well, we don't know how good he actually is because he might just be worse because the other guy <laughs> is apparently just fighting like <laughs> two children in a schoolyard. Like there's no fists. It's just, you know, slapping and hair pulling. Which but, is how Bellary's able to do a diving push apart. Yep. Uh, he looks a lot like Astro Boy in this <laughs> particular scene. Yes, just this shot. So uh, blonde boys, guys grab him and haul him away. Well, he yells like, you've only gotten this far because Toasanga keeps giving you photon batteries. And I was like, Toa Sanga? I didn't know. Wait, I did. I didn't know that. Oh, no. Danielle's sickness is getting to me. <laughs> Unless it's an idea because of what she comes up with later here. Maybe that's what we're supposed to take. Maybe that's inspiration, not uh, revelation. But he's like, you've left behind a history of weakness. You all suck. And Master's like, you call our history weak? <laughs> While Mick Jack is like, whole, got Klimnik in like a headlock. And Durrett's like, oh, regardless, we have you by the balls. You need our batteries. Looking not at all evil while he says it. He's like, anyway, General, I would like you to tell this to the president and people of Ameria. The crown is going to continue to be run by Belry's mom. Good job, Belry's mom. Gold star. <laughs> and she's like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and also, we would like to root out people from Toasanga because they must have collaborated in the construction of your space fleet, not just the people we knew were here. Belry doesn't seem to really understand what's going on, but... Uh... He does mention the Ray Hunton family. And he's like, it couldn't have just been them. There had to have been a lot more stowaways for this. So we need to find them. And we would like to put the terms in writing. 
you know, like a peace treaty. And uh, the uh, Earth people are like, we're going to need some time to talk about this. So uh, we're going to need another meeting. And the Pope is like, let it be done. So Ida storms out and Bellry storms after her, along with Curbs. And Luan. And the colonel who has shimmied out of this calls Mask to be like, hey, what's what happened? <laughs> did, did you record it with your mask like I told you to? Uh, I, I like in the background, Mick Jack is like comforting Clem Nick. Like, yes, I know he kicked your ass, but it's fine. Uh, Rariah has picked out a house for them to buy since she couldn't go to Nerado's. And she's like, yeah, she didn't have a fever or anything. She just had plot. And Ida's like, Lewin, you can get to the megafauna, right? Despite your lack of uniform. Tell him we're going to Toasanga. I did just say Clem Nick is too rash to have a spaceship, but the megafauna is mine now. Tell them to get ready. <laughs> and both Curbs and Luan and Bellary are like, say what? And I was like, how are we supposed to understand anything just listening to a Dorito? He's not even cool ranch. Let's go see it ourselves, which is not a bad idea, but apparently this is more of a myth than most people. Because even Luan's like, does it really exist? And she's like, we have to see for ourselves. And then fade out not to the moon, but to the cathedral, and then space, and then the moon. <laughs> yeah, to show how far it is. Um, it would have been nice if we had, like, pointed up, seen the moon in the sky, and then zoomed in on it through layers, but... Second star on the right, and straight on till morning. <laughs> uh, that's the end of the episode. It well, sure was an episode. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, development, right, and that there's a direction and a new faction. And I think the action scene kind of works with Clem Nick's terrible war crime plan immediately getting foiled. <laughs> I mean, and we do have... Another one of those times where the opposite sides, the opposing sides, finally get to talk to each other. Yeah, they have a good excuse with, hey, the enemy of uh, our enemy is from the moon. So clearly their priority. I mean, they didn't say anything of real substance in this time. So it's not even it's not quite a war for two situation, but they do get to speak. Yeah. And like I said, I do really like Klimnik and Mask's interactions. How so clearly they are foil characters to use that old gem. Yeah, this is uh, some of my favorite dialogue that we've gotten out of Mask on since he became Mask. I mean, he was always Mask. What am I talking <laughs> about? I think I just like the way everyone plays off of Clem Nick. I think that's just because I like Clem Nick. Fair. Do you have a high point, Tyler? I think it's actually going to be the banter back and forth between Mask and Clem, where Clem's explaining his plan, and Mask is like, you're a genius! <laughs> actually, he's an idiot. <laughs> Zach? Uh, I think mine is probably going to be when Bellary is like, uh, this ain't working and pulls everybody out of the way, basically. I kind of like the ending. I like Ida being like, okay, let's go to the moon then. And like her taking charge and do something. Tyler, yeah, do you have a low point? Good. Honestly, I'm having a really hard time coming up with one this episode. I think it's a, pr like we just said, it's an episode and it very much is, but I think we said that because of the pacing of G-Reco, right? Yeah. It's a pretty good one, but it just like, G-Reco feels so flat sometimes. It is G-Reco for like, you can't take that away from it, right? <laughs> it consistently has its own style, which means it comes with good points and bad points. I guess if I'm going to have to go with anything, it's how convoluted it was that they had to leave Sankt Porto to go down to the Garandin so that they could go back up to Sankt Porto. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're like, oh man, we should just stay here. It'd be so much more efficient. Zach? I think my low point might be the fact that while they do have an opportunity to have the characters interact with each other and talk to each other, despite being on opposite sides, they don't really spend enough time with it. So they just kind of like, hey, look, it's Manny. We spoke two sentences and she's like, exit stage left. Yeah, it feels a little bit like a Mario Party scenario. Like, look at all these cool characters. They will not interact in any meaningful way. <laughs>
I'm going to go with the weirdness of Naredo and Raraya and how they keep getting passed around. Like, they need to come with so they can bump into Manny, right? It's important for the plot. But it's weird how much time we spend with where they're going to be and how they don't really do anything other than meet up with Manny. Yeah. Also, there was that whole scene where Curbs was like, passing them over to me, and then that, that didn't happen. Do you have an MVP, Tyler? This one's hard, I think, because there are a lot of, like, individual character interactions I like this episode. I think I'm going to have to give it to Clem Nick just for being a dynamic character on stage frequently. Zach? I think my MVP for this one is probably, like, I'm, I'm torn, but I think I'm going to go ahead and give it to Bellry for his, like, one, even though it was Barar who pushed him out of the way, it was great, like, just good physical comedy physical comedy of him getting bumped out of the way but then like he's got the save at the end and and obviously the quick thinking of hey if we put saint porto to our direct behinds they're not going to shoot at us anymore because they don't want to hit it there are five i kind of have in mind i like ida at the end like i said but also she doesn't do anything the rest of the episode so i think she's out clem nick is a great choice i considered bellry but we give it to him so often and most of what he did this episode was create Rainbow Road, a new and exciting <laughs> power for the G-Self. Mask plays off Klimnik, and so yep. I, I really considered him. But because Zach brought it up, I think I'm going to go with Barara, both for the hip check physical comedy and her making her mobile suit clap while Mask is clapping. And like the look she gives Naredo, just like, hey, you're stealing my look, chick. Um, also, there, her introduction where she's holding them at gunpoint, <laughs> and she's like, I'm friendly, I swear. <laughs> Anything else you guys want to say about this episode? Like I said, I kind of like the way the Moon Faction is introduced. I like that their style looks completely different. I like how big their fleet is. And I also like how, like, despite them seeming as a big threat, the first thing they do is come negotiate. And, like, the Pope was kind of right about them not destroying the tower and everything. I mean, I kind of like that as well, especially because, I mean, the last episode, it made them out to be this huge threat because, oh, no, they blew a hole in our battleship. But then when we actually the zoom first into thing them, is, what the fuck, dude? You weren't yeah. supposed to blow up their battleship. Yeah, that, that, literally the first thing is, how incompetent are my people that you just, on a warning shot, blew a big old hole in that battleship? What the fuck is wrong with you? I agree with a lot of the things you said. Like, I like the fact that their style is all so different from everybody else. And it's just a good way to inter- introduce this whole faction. Other than that part, like... It's kind of another unit of G-Reco. That is true. Like, the real problem is they feel they have to get an action scene in every episode, right? I don't even think the action scene in this episode is bad. I think it serves the plot, it serves character, and it works pretty well. It's just tiring because we've had so many of them. It also creates a weird loop. Because we started this episode at the cathedral in Sanct Porto. And we ended this episode with the same characters at the cathedral in Sanct Porto. I mean, you're not wrong, but I just, whenever anyone says that, I think of part twos of Power Rangers season two, all of which literally start with them in a cliffhanger that they somehow get back into by the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Because they didn't need to be three-part episodes, they needed to be two-part episodes. Uh, But you're right, we do start where we ended, just with some more people there. Now there's a blonde. All right, we will be back next week for episode 14 the truly inspired title, Space and Mobile Suit Battles. Guys, are you tired of the battles yet? (sighs) Well, at least we're going to have space and mobile suit battles next time. Man. That's such a change of pace from what we've been getting. What is with the title? Except fiction. Except fiction.